But you know what? Teams deliver software, individuals don't. Teams perform, individuals don't. Because there's nothing worse than the individual rock star asshole. All right, um, so without further ado, and I'm pretty sure Schaefer is live tweeting the podcast right now. At least I hope he's not catching Pokemon. I, I told him that it would be okay. I have two phones. One, I can <laughs> One is the Pokemon phone. Uh, this is going to be trouble. I can already tell. So let's introduce our panelists. Uh, we're going to have people introduce themselves. We're going to start on the other end so that Schaefer has time to catch that Pokemon. There's a lure here apparently somewhere or a Poke no, Shop. Or I'm I not catching that. Pokemon right now. <laughs> So let's, let's have our panelists introduce themselves. I definitely want the Pokemon to be after the panel. Introduce yourself, please. Hey, Bridget. Hi, I'm James. Uh, I'm from Pivotal, where I'm responsible for our products. Excellent. Thanks, James. <laughs> so thanks to the point. Does my mic work? Does my mic? Oh, it does. <laughs> uh, Charity Majors. Um, I work at Honeycomb. <laughs> And by work at, you mean founded. Yes. <laughs> uh, previously known as Hound until uh, about two or three weeks ago. We just did a free naming. Um, yeah. And returning guest on the podcast. Yes. We need more hexagons. <laughs> nice. All right. I'm Nicole Forsgren. I'm a chef and a co-founder at uh, DevOps Research and Assessment. Nice. Oh, boy. I'm, I'm Andrew, and uh, I'm here trying to contribute something to the world before I die. That is a good way to look at it. Thank you, Andrew. Try, trying to cause more problems than I solve. I thought it was solving more problems than you cause. Well, look at the results. Yeah, it, it, so it said that at one point in his Twitter bio, so, trying to solve or solving more problems than he causes. How many of us knew we were going to be doing this? <laughs> uh, a half hour ago. Okay. So um, I, I will admit that uh, you know how like communication is key and it's a really important part of DevOps. Uh, I will I will totally admit that I sort of forgot to mention to a bunch of people that I wanted to put them on a podcast. I mean, I told the AV crew, so like that's the most important part. So it's being is this important. live streamed? No, okay. we're not live streaming this. I don't think. <laughs> Because I would add more people, more watchers. <laughs> um, no, I don't think we're live streaming it, um, but I guess we could be surprised. I don't know. Last year I was promised sushi. That's why. Last year we did a live taping for us to DevOps at DevOps Days Minneapolis, and we called it Eating Sushi with Andrew Clay Schaefer, which was totally a lie. There was no sushi. The sushi um, is a let, lie. Let's find out about the live streaming. Can we get a thumbs up or a thumbs down? Live streaming, that's fantastic. What's the URL? That's a really good overheard. You are, in fact, live streaming. <laughs> Can I get uh -oh. a URL? And I'll tweet that. <clears throat> is it the same live stream URL that you tweeted out yesterday? Yes, it is the. Why do I not have my tweet? It is the. You can use this one. Do you, do you need to get your phone? That's totally fine. This is like an informal podcast. Just go get your phone. Operators are standing by. So here's the thing about Arrested DevOps. We usually do this in a Google Hangout. So all of our technical difficulties revolve around Google Hangouts because in case you haven't noticed, Google's like not a product company. Sorry, sorry, Google, but they're not. Like the Hangouts UI UX is terrifying at best. Um, but there, I feel like we, we have all of these software is eating the world cliches. And we have all this discussion of like how... Um, if software is actually eating the world, is everyone a software company? And I feel like Waters got on a plane to come to Minnesota where it's like 100 degrees in the shade right now to talk to a lot of companies people wouldn't think of as software companies. Can you give us an idea, not necessarily of company names, but can you give us an idea of the kind of companies out there that are starting to realize software, it matters? Uh, you know, one of them is Merrill, which is, I think, I feel comfortable talking about because they're a sponsor here today, in fact. I was so happy. Um, and uh, there, you know, the conversation I had there was like, hey, our, our executives are all betting on this new software developing. So it's going to be a, a global SaaS brand for us. Software, I'll, I'll, it's a hit. I'll let them talk about the details of it. But, you know, basically it was a very empowered, uh, you know, set of folks that were going to go build these new set of apps that were going to really transform their business. Um, and they were betting on those to make a global impact. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think uh, 
it's almost like the truism was uh, almost too true, like it was, it was happening in front of you, right? If that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I think that Charity has been on the forefront of this for quite a while since she's been doing that, I don't know, mobile backend as a service thing or whatever. What kind of companies used stuff that, like, that you've developed? Uh, dot star. Sorry, <laughs> dot star. <laughs> I mean, it, it's crazy. I mean, uh, this is uh, why I love working on platforms so much is that you have no idea who's going to show up. It's like, oh, uh, oh, hi, Disney. <laughs> didn't see that coming. They didn't talk to us. They just signed up and created an account, you know, because somebody wanted to, like, experiment. And, uh, you know, if they were going to, like, build a major component of their brand around it, I assume they would talk to us first. <laughs> uh, but, you know, or just, you know, so you have this, this incredible spectrum of, you know, developers working out of their mom's garage when they're 13, literally, quite literally, 13-year-olds building software on the same platforms as, like, you know, corporate America. Yeah, this is, this is like the great equalizer, the great yeah. democratization is that of what's going on with software is that people don't have to have a giant budget and conduct an RFP and like procure infrastructure I think anymore. It's so exciting about what's happening in software over the last, you know, really specifically the last mm, three years is, um, you know, um, the platformization, is that a word? Uh, uh, democratization, whatever. Uh, uh, making the powerful tools that, you know, the world's leading software vendor, you know, your Microsoft, your Googles, who have had these massive R&D budgets and their competitive edge has been having the special software sauce that nobody else has access to. And, like, suddenly everyone does. Or, like, it's getting to that point. Well, I, I think there's this reinforcing, uh, we'll call it a, a spiral, that is, it started with this open source movement, right? Everything that you need to build Facebook, Google, Amazon, those things were available as primitives, right? From open source, you could get the Linux kernel, you could go get the C compilers, you could do all this stuff. And that's, that's evolved from the 90s till now, where you can see what open source is coming out of uh, places like Netflix. You can see what, I mean, TensorFlow from, from Google. Like the, the things that are available just going up and up and up the stack to where you don't have to go and like figure out how to use a C compiler anymore. You can just start thinking about your domain and like instantly have the same kind of neural networks that are available in, in you know, what would have been far heavily invested R&D budgets I mean, before. I think a way of saying it is that abstraction levels going up democratize technologies. The, de the democracy is going up the stack. So it's like when you can suddenly touch your phone, a toddler can use it. And that's an abstraction going up from like the old, you know, F10 kind of interface that at that level of abstraction, you don't have toddlers using computers. Yeah. And we're here at DevOps Days Minneapolis. I was just at DevOps Days Silicon Valley, though. They held it in the Computer History Museum. Um, I've been there before, but this time I finally went downstairs and took all the tours and used a punch card machine, which I never used in my career. I hadn't had to use one. And that was a lot of labor. Like, just thinking about how in our short lifetimes, like, this has changed so much. That makes me, I'm, I'm seeing all of these lights in Nicole's eyes, and that makes me think, like, in your research, what would you say are some of these factors that are changing the way that businesses, large and small, are trying to make these decisions because of all the changes that you've seen, too. Oh, wow. So the first lights went on because, like, my first job was as an AS400 program, so, which wasn't punch card. I know, right? I'm seeing this in the <laughs> RPG. Right? Yeah, it was RPG. Yeah, And CL, right? Which, which wasn't totally, like, punch cards, but you still had to line up the commands as if you were on a punch card. It's like, holla, right? Um, but how it changes the way like organizations are making decisions and how they're enabling people now that honestly you know it kind of depends on the team and the organization and where you are for companies that are really killing it and doing it the right way you know we're seeing that democratization right we're seeing we're seeing things go higher up the stack we're seeing them reach out to customers earlier we're seeing them speed things along because the faster you can get things to market, the faster you can get feedback from customers, the faster you can decrease complexity and, and get out um, an MVP and get feedback and build something out, the better you are. 
But if you insist on spending you know, a year for this RFP and then building something out in this like ridiculously it's, it's so safe. complex, it so well. it's so, it'll be great. It'll be fine, right? Let's, let's wait okay. until it's perfect and let's wait a year. Let's plan to plan Except to make Char- a plan. Charity was saying in her keynote earlier today that if you're um, trying to make the perfect whatever it is, you're going to fail. Yeah. Yeah, this is like why every time somebody says hashtag no ops or whatever, I'm like, okay, tales of this time, I just want to start singing the song, you know, it's like, okay, yes, uh, it is not that operations is vanishing or going away or becoming less necessary. Um, like Alsma says, good operations is a competitive advantage. Um, what, what is shifting is, definition yeah, what is shifting is what that work entails on, yes. a, on a moment-to-moment and basis. It always and is. where it, it appears. It used to be, you know, greasing the wheels and the, like, you know, whatever is, you know. And then it was, like, SSHing into hosts and you know, typing bash commands. And now, but I like, feel like... How many times did you cut your hands on those rack screws? Like, square holes, around packs? I am so, on a personal note, so glad that I never have to go to a data center again <gasps> Life. Getting paid, having to get a cab to go to the data center to push a power button, never again. After you paid a cover charge at a show. Oh my god. But Oh, you blinky light test though. All day long. (laughs) Yes, yes. No no more data centers. And they shouldn't matter, right? Because this is this is matter. uh, It's not your competitive advantage, it's pushing the button faster. Right? Uh, But I think that like um, uh, the devaluation uh, I've been ranting a bit about this <laughs> but I think it but I think it ties in I um, asked Charity the, Majors to be on a podcast I'm pretty sure ranting is part of the package <laughs> thank you works well, as designed you get me <laughs> uh, the devaluation of operations like if you're just categorically being like we do no ops we don't do it we don't value it uh, okay, you're kind of not going to attract people who do these things well and the flip like the shadow self of DevOps like we were talking about in, in Budapest um, the shadow self of DevOps is this, this is not just for operations people. You know, we've been yelling at ops people for like, you know, almost a decade, uh, write better code, write more tests, you know, be better software engineers, which is great. Like, I think that, you know, most people in our, our, our industry have heard that, which is good. Uh, but we haven't been telling developers what they need to get better at. You know, the operation skills that make them more powerful engineers, that make them able to think about it at this higher abstraction level and actually, you know, own, they have the tools and the power now to build, ship, and maintain products, um, but they can't do that if they aren't thinking about it in a holistic way. Operability. Yes. So one one of the things that I, I mean, I have like all these internal dollars all the time, but like I feel like there's a tension in my own uh, conversations between the the labeling of people like these are ops people and these are dev people like mm, I don't really like that but and, and at the same an, time we had an ignite last night from Dana saying I'm a data scientist I, I taught myself to do the deploys because I didn't want to be blocked on other people and I was absolutely. like empowerment yeah so so there but there's also this like basic understanding of responsibilities and and not all humans can do all things, and especially as you start to scale organizations, the idea that every single person should have all the full context and all the full skill set to do everything is, is an untenable uh, problem. Mm-hmm. So being able to figure out ways to, to build the actual organization so that you're not, not necessarily thinking about these are ops people and these are dev people, but you're thinking about the capabilities holistically. These are things we want to have happen. Obviously, we want to develop new features. We also want this thing to be running, right? Because there's a transition <laughs> that happens in the middle between the, the world that was shipping software on CDs to the world that is all based on services, where the software doesn't exist if the services are down. Well, and that, go ahead. Oh, please finish, but I want to jump right in there. Yes. Uh, I, I'm just building you know, this narrative in my own dialogue around how to build these systems, but the systems are actually a reflection of the organization. So you often can't apply. So what people are actually saying when they say no ops is they're reacting to a world that was born when the sysadmins were responsible for the mail. Context is literally everything. Yeah. Like anybody who's giving you advice without setting the context is like selling you bullshit. Which which exactly, and and thinking exactly. And they're charging you too much. I I, I often run into, you know, uh, just in the last couple weeks of my life, talking a lot of large enterprises, and I sit down, they're like, hey, what's differentiated about your technology? And I'm like, hold on. 
what problem are you trying to solve? Mm-hmm. I was like, right let back me t- to Charity's keynote, right? Let me just tell you about the problems we try to solve. Let's see if we have problem affinity mm-hmm. before we talk about product differentiation. And you know what I say is like, hey, how long do your deploys take? Today, you know, I went to one bank, they're like, eight weeks, and it costs us 10% of our staff. <laughs> it's true. It's not a laugh track. That's true. And, and, and by the way, it's not like a canned that's ad. Pretty, that's pretty solid. That, that is solidly in like no, I mean, mid that, that was after, tier performers. That was a year after trying to build their own platform. Like they were a year into having tried to undertake a revolution of themselves and stitch something together. And that's not the worst we see in the industry. Not by a long shot. And this is making me think of Schaefer did Pivotal's, uh, you know, vendor spot yesterday, and he threw up a slide that said, good job configuring servers last year, said no CEO ever. <laughs> right, which is, which is actually why when you ask that question, it's much more abstracted to what someone in a management layer cares about, which is, hey, how fast could I actually do something? And less around fashion-driven choices of components you know, we have so much marketing in kind of our environment. It's sort of like you get your sugar water and then you add celebrity or startup to it. And it's like, <laughs> it's like a war of sugar water in a sense. It's like, hey, these are different ways of configuring Linux containers. Okay, well, this one's sponsored by Michael Jackson. Um, <laughs> what does the NASCAR logo look like on yeah, that no, container? So, so we try to get out of that fray into the like, well, what do you want to get done? And then we'll decide if there's a conversation. That's a really good way of putting it. And it's also like... Uh, there are some problems that you can fix and make visible, um, uh, and there are other problems that aren't problems, they're just inherent traits, and infrastructure, an inherent characteristic of infrastructure done well, is you don't notice it. Absolutely. And and you start taking it for granted, and then you're like, oh, well, of course it works. Like roads. And like, 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 like the highway system. Like, oh, well, it just works, right? It does just work unless you're Minneapolis in, was it 2007? Um, I had a friend. Uh, there text is a construction me. project at your airport. I noticed. Well, it, no, that I, I was telling you about how I had a friend text me and say, like, "Hey, are you home from work yet?" And I was like, "Yeah." And she's like, "You should turn on the news." Um, it turns out the freeway over the river had fallen on the bike path that I had just ridden my bike under half an hour before. And I was like, that's not awesome. <laughs> Why did the freeway fall on the bike like path and in the river? Like, this is because like we didn't maintain it. No <laughs> This is a constant. <laughs> it's a thing that everybody bears responsibility for, right? And it contributes to the devaluing of the work. Absolutely. Because when the work is done correctly, the work disappears. And when you notice it, it's because something went wrong. You're like, yes. oh, they broke something, you know? So it's like at every tier, there, there's responsibility in individual engineers to like, you know, make sure that they broadcast what they're doing on managers to like be a translation layer on, you know, executives to not forget, <laughs> you know, to ask questions um, and to make sure that, you know, the nose is. And I'm, I'm just going to like throw this out there. Throw it. Um, there is systemic differences in salaries also among development and ops. Oh, let, Where let's do you talk think, about you that. You say the word devaluation, literal devaluation. I have seen ask for raises, ask well, you to know, make Google more had money. this problem where they couldn't get any SREs. <coughs> time. Wonder why? And they're like, "Huh, why can't we? You know, we have all these amazing engineers with, you know, their skill sets are so good." Uh, and they're like, "Oh." Uh, someone had the brilliant idea, let's pay SREs more than we pay software engineers. Suddenly, they had no more problem <laughs> retaining SREs. Yep. I, I think this is actually bringing up an interesting point because when you see some of the more leading edge, whatever, like DevOps, cloud native companies, they don't have this disparity as much. Exactly. Right? So because when you see like the Silicon the Valley way... It's a competitive advantage. It's a differentiator. Yes, absolutely. And they treat them as such. They don't treat them as someone whose work has no value. I give talks all the time about like how to hire great ops teams, and like like one of the top three things is so how do you pay them? But but do you value it? I'd like to throw something out in here though. Is that the problem is if you are doing a lot of very manual things, it forces the business to try to compress the unit cost of people. Whereas if you're doing things that are more platform and automated like Can I help can I can, help rephrase that? Yeah. Are you Please. adding value to the work or are you not adding value to the work? If you're doing everything in a very, very manual way yeah. and not contributing value, if you're doing things in an automated way, it yeah. is then consistent, it is um, repeatable, yeah. it is auditable, 
you are adding value to the process. If you're doing something in a very manual way, it is not repeatable. It is not inspectable. It is not auditable. But there's a, there's a decision that gets made in organizations that frames IT as a cost center. And that forces a bunch of these other bad behaviors where you're actually under-resourced, no matter what, to get all the bucket of work done yep. to it, keep up right. with all the files. Yeah. So developers too, though. Let, let's be honest. Like, sure. The offshoring yes. phenomena yes. was oh. an attempt to lower unit cost of developer mm-hmm. in the same way that paying less... For ops. That worked out well. Yep. But let me a quick anecdote is that you know with the platform approach sometimes we have a few, you know, I call them like the PCF 2K or 4K, which are like an operator or two that are running 2,000, 4,000 containers that often have hundreds of apps on them. And then I go out of my way to tell their bosses how valuable they are. You know, I was at drinks with one and his boss, the CTO, at dinner. I was like, wow, he's running, you know, 3,000 apps with two people a quarter of his time. I would you know, I bet you know some other company would hire him pretty fast with that ratio. And his boss's defense, he's like, "Oh, we're making sure we're taking care of David." Uh, <laughs> so I, I do think there is some level of increasing the abstraction can help the operator become really highly valued because they have leverage. And I know that we uh, don't have your time for this entire hour, Waters, because as it turns out, you do need to go talk to more of these C-suite types. You want to give us your best advice to people who would like their management to do what you deem to be the right stuff. What's your best advice to our well, IT professionals who are no listening pressure. to this? No pressure, but what's your best advice to them? Can you fix all the problems in the 10 seconds you have? <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, my only advice that Schaefer and I have been riffing on for years is that uh, you know, application architecture and operations architecture are not dissimilar things. And uh, I think that's one of the things that Google SREs were very empowered to do, which is like, oh, this is your monitoring architecture for your app. And they really... Lots of people think they have operations problem, have an architecture problem. Yeah, and yeah. so, like, I, and, that, and that gets back to the operational leverage. Like, until you really think about application architecture, getting operational leverage can be manual only or a series of bespoke imperative tasks. So just think about application architecture and choose things like databases that you adopt carefully and think about their operational architecture. Uh, because a lot of people develop, operate, you know, like, oh, I love this databases API, go. Um, <laughs> think about how it's operated, too. Day two matters. You're speaking charity's language. <laughs> this is just things I believe. So with that, nice. it was fun. Thanks. Take care. All right, now we can start. <laughs> <laughs> Take your chair. You can, it's right here. We're iterating. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like, uh, operations, like, so <laughs> context is everything. And, you know, you. Um, people who are coming from a context where all that they've seen is people who uh, run scripts by hand, uh, who yeah. are not empowered. Like, I get the arguments that they're making. I'm just saying um, we can live in a better world. I, I think this is one thing to be careful of because, and, and I'm sure you guys have had similar conversations where, you, you can say the words about continuous delivery, about microservices, about different things that have different benefits in different contexts, but someone who's so far away from that in their own context, like it just sounds like magic. So it just sounds you like fairy clearly tale. are so you, coming, like I respect the work that uh, all of you do, <laughs> talking I to such a, uh, no, 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 I'm like, I couldn't do that. <laughs> like talking, like, I, no, I'm not trying to cast shade on, on anyone like, People are where they are, no judgment. Um, you gotta meet them where they're at. Um, I've been very privileged to work with like the teams that I've worked with. Like, I have a hard time emphasizing, and I would probably be rude. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, you're right. You have to be yeah, where they are to help yes. them be better. And, and, and part of it is helping them envision what is possible yeah. and what it can look like How and what it can feel be so like. Amazing. And yes. what it can feel like. Yes. Right? Like, I realize that doing this all manual right now, and I swear, like, I, I got caught in this for a little bit at IBM, right? It's like, it was comfortable. I knew it wasn't going to break. Like, I knew I could do it. I knew it was happening. It was going to be fine. But you have to start where you're at. And, you and, have to and, start and, where they are. You know, there's, a, there's an analogy that I like to use about you know, <laughs> something that people are familiar with, which is, you know, you could be trained to do lots of things, right? And if you, if you want to run a marathon, you should probably train to run a marathon. If you're, if you're not ready to run a marathon and you go and try to run a marathon, you'll probably hurt yourself. 
And you know, the same thing could be said for like a lot of different activities, athletic activities. So yeah, people try something and they aren't ready, and it fails, and they have a day of downtime. And they're like, they're now, they're like, now they're all, now they're now all hurt. Now they're like laying there. They don't want to try yeah. it a second time. Yeah. They're laying there yeah. crippled, and they're like, oh, yeah. I probably shouldn't have tried continuous yeah. delivery. Well, like, there's also there's also <laughs> companies who like so okay so I you know have friends who are doing early startups um, that I've been like um, trying to help, um, which is something I can relate to a lot more. Um, but like, so, so my company's uh, product is really something um, that helps, you know, if you have a long, fat tail of, even if you're the best engineers in the world, uh, you can never automate and get rid of all these problems. Because uh, like, uh, you know, if, you're, if, you're product, if, you're, if your product behaves at all like a platform, right, you're all, humans introduce chaos. And the more flexibility you give to people using your product, uh, the more chaos they can cause, and the more your engineers need to have powerful tools for, you know, actually debugging these things in real time, you know. Uh, and so some of my friends have been like, oh, I, I want to use this. And we go and look, and it's like, okay, uh, so you are a patient in the emergency room. Um, you've got a broken leg, a broken arm. There's blood spurting out of your head. Um, Cool. Um, there's also cool. like, you know, a bunch of, there's some like disturbing nodules, you know, there's some skin, there might be skin cancer or something. Are you ready but, to run like, a marathon? We're not ready to like, we shouldn't care about those things until we fix the limbs and the blood spurting, right? You gotta, you gotta stabilize, stabilize <laughs> you gotta the patient. Stabilize the patient Free before you start like yeah. jumping ahead to like, you know, eh, first things first. I mean, I think that the number one um, quality that makes people good at, at startuping is ruthless prioritization. It's, but isn't that true in most businesses I think too, it's though? True, but like, you it's have, so visible in a startup. It's oh, so visible in the media. I would say no. But if you don't have priorities in your large businesses, don't you? I had but not ruthless prioritization. Longer. You can yeah. hide it for longer. You have, have more scope. You have, kind of, and you have so much budget. It depends you, on context, too, again. You can fail for a long time like, in a large business yeah. with no one this is actually so one You have a safety net. You have other people who can fill in what this, you're This failing. is one and of the hide. things that causes the overfunded startups to fail because they, they're protecting themselves from their own context with the oh, yeah. infusion totally. of cash. Yeah. Totally. So they don't have to prioritize because everything's great because look at our... Well, but, I'm coming from my position of four people, so... Oh, of course. Yeah. And we're like, going to fail. I kind fast. of... <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of wondering as... As Nicole goes and looks at the data coming out of companies of various sizes, I know you have data on like market cap and whatnot. How do large organizations, because I know from show of hands earlier that the vast majority of people at this DevOps days work at larger companies, how do large organizations get the nimbleness and agility and fun and awesomeness of the startup? Like, how do they get that if they want any of those things? How do they get it? So how do they get that? How does a sumo wrestler do gymnastics? What is it? I mean, like, <laughs> how can people inside large organizations have the things that look like magic? So quite often we see it happen in like smaller teams. The same way like we see people do the DevOps, right? So you have a smaller team, try something out, um, be nimble, and then see it scale from there. Right? I mean, it's you can't do it the way that traditional enterprises have tried to do things in the past, which is like we're going to be nimble, and we're going to do it everywhere, and this is the exact process you're going to follow to be nimble. <laughs> we're going to be so nimble, we put, it, we put like five, five words on a poster. Follow this 50-page document. <laughs> Nimbly. Here are the mouse pads and the posters that say nimble. So I'm, I'm curious to hear from our audience, just because we have, a, we have I, don't, I can't even say for sure how many people at least... 30 to 50 people probably in the room. And I feel like at least some of them probably have questions for our panelists. So at this point, if you, if you want to have a quick show of hands so that can we can... Can I say something quick about the Nimble thing, yes. the big company? We can talk about that while we while line up some questions. think about some questions. Um, so like working at Facebook was a revelation to me because I, I have aggressively avoided big companies my entire career. Uh, oh, and oh, oops, got, your company got acquired by Facebook. Whoops, happens <laughs> to the best of us. Um, and, no, Facebook's a very nice place. It's very nice people. Uh, but, oh my God, it moves slow compared to everything I've ever done before. And they are, from what I gather, like on the and that's very, very, very best end of the big company spectrum, but it's so slow. Um, you know, they, their like, horizon is just like, you know, well, 18 months from now, and it's just like, 
Okay, uh, eight weeks from now, I think I'm still going to, you know, that, I'm more comfortable with that. But, you know, they That's tried to... That's hilarious. So I'm, I was at IBM, and one of my old departments just decided to roll out this newfangled thing. Everyone's sitting, right? It's called Agile. <laughs> I just about fell out of my seat. When did you help make that Agile stuff happen, Schaefer? I don't know, 2005 call and... <laughs> but, but the way that you tra- but the way that you can actually get agile is not evenly distributed. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> At a large company, is through trust, is being outcomes oriented and trusting your teams, and not re- even if you think that okay, they- both of those outcomes oriented outcomes and trust oriented and trust. Like yes. you define an outcome, uh, you have done everything that you can to develop trust in this team, and then you really have to go hands off. And empower and your people. Empower them to and chase that them outcome. To make mistakes. Yes. <coughs> you know, uh, as long as they're not like going to destroy the company, empower them to make mistakes because that's how they learn and become more trustworthy. And if you don't do that, uh, you don't have agility. How do you tell which mistakes will destroy the company, except in retrospect? Well, like, hopefully, you've hired <laughs> smart people who have good things in mind, who have good intentions. Like, hopefully, I, I, you have I very hired strongly people. believe that smart people solve problems. That's right. Like, I mean, intentions don't prevent you but, from dropping the production but in database. Theory, Smart people also cause problems. Don't every <laughs> single place that I've ever worked has had some sort of outage related to, oops, I almost distributed, shelled, and dropped all of the data everywhere. <laughs> every single place I've ever worked. So I'm just saying, like... But, but also, both of these were oops, right? I mean, how many times, who here, and online, right, and live, hi, who, who has shown up to work and said, I'm taking the company down? <laughs> like, it's it doesn't rare. really happen. That, that's like werewolf style. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have <coughs> Sorry. Do we have any questions? Yeah, let's, let's get some participation from the audience. You all chose to come to a live taping, which means you've probably either listened to the podcast before, or you're like, I can sit in here and no one will bother me. So I'm just going to pick on <laughs> Gabe since he's in the front row. Gentlemen, do you want to give Gabe the mic? And then put your hands up, other people. This is just off. Is this on? Okay, just off the top of my head, you guys talked about the the pay disparity. You know, I think that's maybe less. Pay disparity is the outcome of maybe a lack of um, career development. And so, one of the things that has been talked about at this conference is, you know, DevOps is Dev plus Ops, but now people are starting to integrate marketing. Um, what about parachuting in? HR slash career development people into DevOps teams to make sure that the both the developers and the ops people or the DevOps or the tech ops are, I mean, if there's no differentiation, but how do you develop these people over potentially years uh, to make sure that they're valuable for the really long term? Um, maybe it is more important in a giant multinational conglomerate. <laughs> so you're talking about how to develop individuals uh, so that they are, you know, uh, so that like pay should roughly, this is the statement, should roughly reflect value to the organization, which is a statement that I think we all agree with, even though it's like impossible to completely, you know, but if you're systematically like saying, well, all software engineers have these brackets, you know, and all, you know, operations identified engineers have these brackets, you're pretty clearly sending a statement that, you know, this is how you value, value them. Um, I think that I don't understand how HR fits into any of this. I understand um, defining things that you care about. And the thing is that the, what you care about as an org isn't the same across all orgs, right? Um, and some orgs, like, like Heroku, like, they are like five nines, you know? So, like, for their, like, internal review process, um, it's, it's, you know, did, is your shit reliable? It's going to be very heavily factored into, do you get a promotion? Do you get a raise? Do you get that, you know, that different title? Whereas at, like, you know, social gaming companies, uh, no, no, that's probably not one of the top five things that they think about. You At know, least not for Pokemon Go. Keep it up, like, <laughs> that shit is constantly. two nines is fine. You know, so it, it's all contextual. Can the nines be oh. on any part of the, any side of the decimal point? Because I feel like 9.9999 is still five nines. So, so the way he phrased this made me think of um, some different things in uh, what Cherry's saying. And to me, 
I'm not sure you need HR to like get better at your work, right? And and I know this isn't always true, and it certainly hasn't been true everywhere I've been. But when I've been in a position to make this true, I'm trying to make it true, and that is that you can do work in such a way, and this kind of goes back to this this metaphor of running uh, marathons. You can do work in such a way that at the end of doing the work, you're better at doing the work than when you started. Right? And if you're not getting better, if you're not changing your behaviors, if you're not learning as you go through the work, then, then I would challenge you to reevaluate like what that work is. Like, are we reevaluating how we do work so that we can do it better? Because that's just as important as like running the shell script. And what about making other right. people better too? Yeah. It's the system, yeah. right? Like in, in a healthy organization, the system helps everyone be better at their job. That's and, what I believe. And maybe that's the tie-in for the HR department at a large organization is if you're you know, trying to assess or evaluate your employees over time, one of the things that should really matter is how much are they learning? And, and some of it comes from, like, you, there's, this, there's this tribal transfer of knowledge in organizations. And, and if you don't have a sense of, of, like, mentorship or ownership of the people that are new to the organization, then how can you expect them to, like, do better for you? And maybe so, it's, you know, offering training and development. And as, you know, former university professor, I'm going to go ahead and, like, drop a bomb on, like, some of university. Um, you're, you're not going to get all of the training that you need in university, regardless of what it is you do. You'll get a little, you'll get slightly better training for development, maybe, but that's with a giant asterisk because like you're going to learn how to code, but you're not going to learn how to code highly distributed software and learn how to do continuous development delivery. You aren't because it's not there. There isn't CI. Like a lot of, a lot of uh, programs right now don't even teach like Git. Um, I know it's sad panda. Um, for operations, we don't have very many solid programs in that right now, although okay. like there are a handful and you can get some basics in like some MIS courses and we're starting to work on that right now. But like thinking you can go to university and come out and be a rock star DevOps person, <laughs> it's not going to happen, but it's not going to happen pretty much equally. You're equally, really? Well, you're not going to come out as a great software engineer either. Right, so, it, like I, I said, mean, like you're equally I, screwed. I mean, I what, what will probably help, honestly, like I think that going to the University of Minnesota gave me great preparation in being an ops, but it's because I got the student job working for the, the student job working on the, the job CS training where so they gave us road on our faculty computers. So there's really computers. two halves two <laughs> to your question, though, which is how do you empower, how do you help people get these different skills? Um, and how do you reward them once they do? And I think that the, uh, um, <laughs> I have all, always seen um, it work best when people want to get the skills, and part of making them want to get the skills is showing that you value them. You know, if you're not demonstrating that you value engineers knowing how to, you know, debug their own shit and instrument their own shit and, you know, um, create observable, maintainable systems by other people, and, um, and create not, and maintain scalable code. Then they're not incentivized to do that. It, it's, it's, you know, uh, people are tribal creatures. <laughs> they, they want to do what you want them to do. Um, so you should be specific about what you're signaling that you want. And on the other side, I, I feel like as managers, I just spent three years as a manager at a big company, so I've thought a fair amount about this. Like there are questions that you ask, right? when you're giving performance reviews. And often, um, they are questions that don't give the full story or don't give you the right answers. Like one of my favorite questions to ask people, whether they're on my team or not, um, is like, who on your team um, would you most like to be paired with as on call? Or if you were just like, Lost. If you could not figure this service out, and it's three a.m., who would you call? You know, or who would you least like to be paired with? You know, because we, we would do this thing when we paired. You know, uh, production engineering with you know software engineering. You know, you'd have a buddy. You know, who do you least want to be paired with, and why? I mean, this tends to tease out a very different set of responses from you know who's the best engineer on your team, who writes the best code, who you know you're you're. So something that, that the chair just said made me think of uh, the flip side of this, which is, there. okay, so we can make people better, but there's also, especially in some of these large organizations, which you don't see as much in startups, 
uh, a reluctance to fire the incompetent people, right? Or even confront them. Or confront them. And I don't think anything destroys organizations faster than having the frustration of like your good work being being compared next to this other person. And often you're like on the same pay ladder or whatever, and you're just like, it's just demotivating, demoralizing to, to know that the organization is carrying all this extra um, baggage that isn't adding value. But this, but this is back to the, and I, I think Nicole has something really valuable something here. Go, um, but go ahead. But this, this is back to the, uh, how do these organizations figure out what is going to be the most useful thing for them to do? Yeah, I'm going to rant for a minute, though. <laughs> Super hard rant. Do not... Individual performance reviews are just massive bullshit. They <laughs> so are. True. Individuals do not deliver software. Teams do. Preach. <laughs> All damn day long. So, yes, sometimes there are people that are dead weight, and identifying them and, like, helping to, helping them find something more appropriate for them and their skills is super important. But you know what? Teams deliver software, individuals don't. Teams perform, individuals don't. Because there's nothing worse than the individual rock star asshole, also. <laughs> um, and so there's hard. also always someone on the team who does what in academia we call individual work, or sorry, invisible work, mm-hmm. which is absolutely important, absolutely critical, just as essential to the team's high functioning. Yeah. It absolutely does not mean it's less valuable. It might be the person that you always want to pair with. Mm-hmm. It might be the person that always knows what's happening, always getting something done. That doesn't mean it's the person who's gossipy. But it's the person who, key, who like glues the team together. Has it in their head. Has yeah. everything in their head. They might be doing the least number of commits. I'm also the metrics girl, sorry. I go to like numbers. <laughs> but like if you try to instrument like the measurement of the performance oh. of the person or the team and you're measuring commits, that's like... This person's going to get the lower review because he or she does the least number of commits. As soon as you make a measure a target, you made the measure useless. Yeah. Or, or you're going to game it, right? That doesn't, you know, there's going to be a way to game it. But maybe there's someone who has everything in their head or they're the perfect person to pair with or they're the person that you rubber duck with, right? So that's someone where, like, if you always have to say something out loud to make sure it works, so you maybe have, a, like, a rubber duck on the top of your screen and you say it out loud with a rubber duck and then suddenly it makes sense to you, maybe that person is your rubber duck. And the whole entire team's rubber duck. Your team is what performs. Your team is delivering. It's, it's so I'm going to make. I'm going to take a slightly contrarian really... position on what you just said. Not, not <laughs> like I want to re- reinforce some of it, but but I I very strongly believe that humans are non fungible, and that yes. yeah you can you can you you deliver as a team, but you you definitely don't have the the same like you're not going to replace these cogs in this machine and like have that system Absolutely. operate the same way. Um, and then when you so, start... And, and Google found that, right? Sure. So if anyone's here for my talk, I referenced this. Google thought, so in studying, they have 37,000 people. They had studied the, man, the 1,000 managers for years. They thought, we're going to study the 36,000 engineers, and we're going to find the perfect makeup of a team. And it's going to be like a data scientist and a database person and a couple programmers, and it's going to be your perfect team, like pseudo-fungible-ish. No, it comes down to team dynamics, where psychological safety is number one, trust and vulnerability, yeah. also like meaningfulness of the work, identification, all the other things, but it comes down to that great, awesome mix of a team and the people. And yet, ironically, they still hire as though they're hiring for Lego bricks. It takes a while. <laughs> Four out of five artificial intelligences approved that hire. 78% of stats are made the, up. <laughs> the, the thing that I would say, and I think we've all, we've all seen this movie, where and this kind of goes back to the, the, the baggage, like we, we, we allow to occur inside of our organizations, that there's, there's going to be some developer and that person is elevated and celebrated for all the stuff they contributed when in reality what they've actually contributed, if you were able to look at things holistically, is a lot of technical debt. And, and there's like certain... Yes. There, there's certain personas that I think... So I like to think of this as kind of like a role-playing game. And I there, feel, by the way, I, really quickly, I feel bad I pointed at Charity. I pointed at Charity because she made she, that point. She made this point. She made the point in her talk that software is debt. Like, any time you introduce student stuff, it's software. I wasn't like, Charity does God this. Damn <laughs> Charity's that <laughs> person. But, but there, there's a persona that I'm going to call the 80 percenter. And the 80 percenter, you can give them an idea that no one's ever seen before, and they will go home and you'll see it again at 8 in the morning or whatever because they stayed up all night making it. 
And that will be awesome as a proof of concept. That same person, given from now till the heat death of the universe, will never build anything that should be in production. Right? Well, God, I know and, so and, many startup CTOs who, uh, yes, that's them. And, and, and it's nice to have that person in the party. Yeah. It's nice to have that person around. And, and but even you, on the team. But they need the rest of the team to get exactly. something in front and of customers. Or yours. need to know that they are not the heat and light of the universe just because they can... And this this makes me think so much of Alice Goldfuss's wonderful talk at Velocity Santa Clara. Oh my gosh, it was so, so great. great. Where she's talking I couldn't about, tweet fast enough. I know. <laughs> I'm serious. Find this talk. She's my thumbs about, hurt. Yeah, she's talking about um, rock stars, builders, janitors, these different roles on a team. And there is definitely something to be said for the fact that some people, this is, and you can kind of think of it as um, the pioneers, settlers, town planners too, but like, this is, you can think of it as some people will pretty much always want to, want to or be able to do the one thing. But then that, you know, the invisible work, the cleanup work, or just in the middle, you, okay, that's great. You made something that's awesome, an awesome idea. How do we actually productionize this? Um, let's make this so that we should responsibly roll it out to customers. Or, or should we? Was it something yeah. that was just a learning opportunity? Yeah. We needed to learn from something from it. We yeah. need to move on. Yeah. Respect I'll take those turns. sunk costs. Yes. Uh, before, I wanted to make one more point about the, uh, the composition of a team, because I thought mm-hmm. um, what you were saying was really interesting. And I think this is one of the competitive advantages that startups have, is that when you're hiring, um, when you're, you're building a team, and you're looking at, you're, you're not, you're looking at the team as an organism, you know, and you're not looking for... Uh, an engineer, you know, who's like the best engineer, so much as you're looking at, okay, what does my team need to be more effective? Uh, maybe they need to be able to turn out lots of code because that's something we're so at. <coughs> maybe they don't need to be a rock, an amazing software engineer because what we need is someone, you know, who, you know. It's sort of a, it's sort of like inverting Conway's law. So you're basically building the system yeah. that will build the yeah. system, right? Yeah. And, and so and like a lot of people don't give that the full, the full attention that, yes. that or realize yes. that that's the act of doing. What you need is very dependent on what you have. Your resources are constrained. It's like I, think, it's like I have a basketball team. I don't need more point guards. I need yes, one center yes. or whatever. And I think that having constrained resources is actually one of the greatest drivers of creativity for man, for managers and people who are trying to build companies. It's not good to have like bajillions of dollars and too many engineers before you actually know what you're doing with them. So good news, large enterprises. It's a fun hobby, budget. <laughs> but, but do it responsibly, right? I mean, suddenly just cutting budget and telling people, oh, be scrappy. Well, but like everything that, you say, that I say about startups, <laughs> didn't say it. It's like, uh, didn't uh, say it. Austerity is also to, a form of waste, though. You can, you can apply yes. it to teams and like new projects within established companies, right? That, and that's one of the best things I've seen, where it's like carved out the small budget yeah. for you, Take a team, go see what you can make. Yeah, high risk, high reward. Just yeah. like a startup. So like I say things that are relevant to startups, but I feel like you could just like said search and replace startup for you know projects within. Oh, and so by the way, I wanted to get back to something. You said I had data on like some of this for enterprises. One thing I did want to mention, a bunch of people like look at this data and like look at my little talk and my cute little like show, and they're like, <laughs> this super doesn't work for enterprises though, right? This doesn't work for my company. This is nice. Thanks, but no thanks. No, there are no statistical differences among um, the different enterprise sizes. So, like, ran the numbers, enterprises, 10,000 employees and higher, they look the same, right? So, can they be nimble? They can totally be nimble. I see high performers in enterprises. I see high performers in smaller companies. I also see super low performers in enterprises, so, but I also see super low performers in startups. So, so just to re- refresh <laughs> for it everywhere. people who don't have the full context of what you're talking about, like what are the features that you're pulling out of each of those and to compare them? So like when you say high performer, what were you measuring? What were, what were the actual measures? Okay, so specifically when I'm, when I'm looking at high, medium, and low performers, I'm looking at the IT performance of, well, this, this is complicated. I can stop me when you're done. Um, but well, let, for, let's, let's have a three-minute version. For high, medium, and low performers, I'm looking at um, throughput and stability. So where the throughput measures are um, deploy frequency and lead time, code commit to code deploy or delivery, and um, stability, so MTTR, mean time to restore, and then change fail rate. 
But then once I have the teams classified according to high, medium, and low performers, where high performers are very similar to each other and dissimilar from others, medium performers are similar to each other and dissimilar from the others, low performers are similar to each other and, and dissimilar from everyone else, then I take a look and I can slice and dice the rest of the data. So all the high performers, by the way, they tend to be, uh, not tend to be, they are, um, statistically, they're significantly different along the Western culture score. High performers are significantly higher in terms of Western culture. Um, so give, us a quick, give us the one-minute version of um, that. Um, high trust, good information flow, novelties implemented, mission, messengers aren't shot. Low performers mm. suck at that scale. <laughs> Medium performers kind of in the middle. Um, uh, enterprises. Uh, like, so if I tried to like, run that same analysis to see if I see significant differences by company size, no significant difference. So I see teams from all company sizes equally spread across that. Or at least not significantly, no significant differences spread across there. Um, if I do an analysis by industry vertical, some people are like, oh no, I'm in a highly regulated field. I see it spread everywhere. Okay, so I see like some companies show up in high, medium, low. Um, I see, so I was, I was testing for things like where version control shows up, um, some of those key technical practices. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait. There are places that don't use version control? Yes. <laughs> yes. It's true, I've seen it. I, I talked, and, to, a, I talked and, to a large enterprise um, about a I've seen the White Walkers. And, and specifically, and I, want, and I want to point out specifically version control of um, infrastructure application and, and configuration of all of these things. So it's, because some people are like, oh, I do version control for my application, but only for their application, nice. not for the configuration, not for the scripts, not for anything else. So not like for those schema changes. You don't want to know that what That one person has a home directory with all the <laughs> do it five dot sh. All right, so I wanted, to, I wanted to, to break Charity's heart by telling her, I talked to a large <laughs> company recently that was uh, excited about the fact that they were, they were going to get them some Git this year. I was like, that's terrifying. I mean, good, but terrifying. But I'm glad it's 2016, and I'm glad you're getting some Git. I, I'm super, super sad for your employees that they were using I, whatever the hell I they were using like, before. Oh, God, but I like, just want to be like a hedge fund. <laughs> <laughs> Figure out what... But, but that's the thing, right? We <laughs> see significant differences in oh stock price among high and low performers. 50% oh. um, out... Uh, Figures that outperformed high versus low performers over Charity's the previous three years. Yeah. Should, Charity, talk to should we stop? just start did, some sort did. of fund that's basically for companies that use version control? Yeah. <laughs> Put your yeah. investments there. Or anti for those who don't. Anyway, I know. Sorry, go on. Yeah, you so, yeah. but among key technical <laughs> practices, key lean management practices, um, key like cultural indicators, um, we do see good significant differences among the practices, but not among the characteristics of the firms. Mm -hmm. if, I, if I would say demographics of the firms, like how big is your company, uh, what industry vertical yeah. are you in, I don't see big differences there. So it's not like this works for everyone sure. except really big, highly regulated companies. Right. No. Yeah. Right? So in other I words, see what Nicole is saying is you have no excuse. <laughs> so we have like what, seven-ish minutes? Yeah. Does anyone else want to ask a question maybe? Uh, we'll, we'll take a question or two, and while we've got one right over there, and uh, while we're uh, taking questions, I'm going to have our panelists think about, because I'm going to ask them to give us their biggest takeaway in terms of what they either learned or shared at DevOps Days Minneapolis after this question. Hi, my name is Kevin. This is for Nicole. So in your talk yesterday, kind of the big eye-opener for me uh, was about quality and throughput and how you said that. It was, it was what, sorry? About quality and throughput. Quality and throughput. Okay. And how you said they were high performers did them both equally well. Oh, um, throughput and stability. Stability. Yes. Sorry. I, and I went quality, but stability, different thing. Anyway, so for someone who cares about stability, um, I guess, does your data show, did they just automatically out of the gate, they did them both well, or did one come first, or how, how does that, how, did the, how does the strategy work? So I, cares about I don't have data on that. All I have data is on um, where they are at a, at a point in time. And, but I do have data on um, if, if I see trade-offs, and I don't tend to see trade-offs. It sounds like this might be uh, exciting new questions for next year's yes. DevOps um, report. I, I do have data that I still have to analyze, and as soon as I get it, we're going to post it online. And that question is, 
when you started your DevOps journey, what did you start with? And that's in terms of technical practices, management practices, and, and cultural areas. But in terms of if they started with stability or speed first, <coughs> um, I, I haven't asked that. But, but across over the years, um, I know that like speed, we tend to see more gains in speed just because in terms of like stability, like right now, like slow is the new down, right? Like you can't, like you, like there's just no such thing as like down websites. So now you just can't really be slow and you can't like, there's just nines, right? So you just can't get that much better because there's just not that much better to get. So we're seeing big gains in speed, but it's, it's just because, like, that's the next place to go. Each nine costs ten times more than the last one. Yeah. <laughs> Too true. That also. That's, that's just math. Oh. Thanks. I, I just wanted, this is, like, completely out of left field, but for Andrew, um, this is the first time I've ever heard you uh, speak. And so it, it uh, occurred to me that you seem really, really good at um, synthesizing information and then spitting it out in your own language. And I was just curious, in your career, if you... Uh, like examples of where that's really helped you and benefited you or areas where that's maybe gotten you into trouble? <laughs> so I just want to start with saying I was born this way. Uh, I, I have um, long believed, um, based on the arc of my career, that the best thing that developers, any technical person, operators, uh, what have you, can do to improve their, their career uh, is to learn how to speak and learn how to write. Ten times that. Totally. And, and, and I was also fortunate, uh, I mean, at one point in my life, I was on a debate scholarship in the university for a number of years, and I got a lot of practice listening to things and, and kind of forming arguments and responding in a fairly rapid fashion. So, And that served me well in, in, uh, in my technical career as well. Nice. Yeah, get, get in an argument with uh, Andrew Clay Schaefer about, say, platforms or anything else. It's it's war. It's, I, I not don't know, a, not war. a hashtag. Not war. A war as a metaphor, but I, I've given a number of talks over the last I don't know five six years. Some of them are pretty good. <laughs> you can you can go watch some of uh, Schaefer's uh, ideas on the internet. My my favorite idea or my favorite talk I gave is pinned to <laughs> the top of my Twitter. It's a good talk. I was at that one live. So to sum up, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask each of our panelists. Um, something that you learned and or shared at DevOps Days Minneapolis and where people who would like to stalk you on the internet and or show up at a conference and or whatever that you're going to be up to coming up real soon now, TM, where they can find more of your awesome content, starting with charity. Mm, well, uh, I am on the Twitters, Mipsy Tipsy. Uh, that was my EverQuest enchanter's name. Excellent. True story. Um, I've said no to 26 conferences over the next six months. <laughs> Hashtag startup life. Um, but I will be at, uh, you dragged me into Velocity New York. No. Uh, I, I gotta put a pitch in for our Velocity New York panel. Ops in the time of serverless containerized yeah. web scale. Yeah, yeah. If you if you want to, that's see buzzword bingo. My, right my there. A plus, oh yeah, <laughs> my A plus rants right now generally get sparked by anything hashtag serverless. <laughs> thing. Um, yeah, no, but seriously, like you know, in the early days of a startup, when there's four of you, if you take off, oh, 25 percent of your engineering team is gone, and that actually puts a dent in your ability to deliver. <laughs> Um, so I'm uh, really trying to keep it down. Um, what I, so, again, startup life. I did not get to see hardly any of the conference, which I really am sad about. I'm hoping to do some of the open, you know, speaky thingies this afternoon. Um, I, really, I really want to see more acknowledgement in DevOps days that this is for software engineers, too, that they have as much change I feel like it's really, the message is just starting to be, all right, we leveled up. Ops is like, come a long way. Uh, where's the other half of the equation? Um, I didn't speak about this this time because Bridget told me to be nice. Um, but, uh, I, I told you that the stuff that you just gave at Velocity yeah, was like yeah. amazing and exactly what I wanted. <laughs> so uh, That's kind of what you said. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> 
Okay. So I am at Nicole F. V. So uh, F is in Frank, B is in Victor, and my website is NicoleFV.com. And all of this will be in the show notes as well. Oh, perfect. Um, and I am next at Springwood Platform in Vegas. PivotalConf. Represent. Yeah. PivotalConf. We, we organize a conference, and it's a, a little bit more focus on up the stack for uh, something. So the, the, spring, the spring framework is, is widely we'll, we'll deployed. We'll talk about that yeah. in a minute. Nicole will Sorry. <laughs> oh, and I, so Please there's proceed. been a whole bunch of stuff. I really, like, seriously dug your sh two shout-outs that you had. One was that all code, and not just for developers, but also for office people, all code is technical debt. And that, like, the corollary is that all people should be rewarded for deprecating and removing code whenever one, possible. Yeah, one thing, tests are code. <laughs> tests are code, everything's code. Um, and also, like, my super favorite one is that Software is never the end game. Software is always in service of what it is that you're doing. And always remember that. And I do that, you know, even, like, that's my other bang, drum that I bang, is, like, if you're doing metrics, like, don't do continuous delivery for the sake of continuous delivery. Don't do the DevOps because DevOps. Do things because business, because money, because customer. What is it that you're doing? Or because stakeholders, because goals. If you look at like right. public sector stuff, you're like whatever the, the yeah. goals are. So because, the because you're delivering healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. What is it that you do? And then back into that. So, okay, now it's your turn. So I went. I, I kind of I kind of curtailed my um, conference speaking. So I haven't really been proposing. And I feel like also I go through phases where I don't really want to say anything. Like if people tell me to come and I'll say stuff, like okay, fine. But like, I, I feel, you I, I feel like I and these like build up. Like so, like there's a few things I I gave talks before where I felt like okay, like I have this seminal thing, like I really want to share. And I feel like I'm in a, a position right now where I'm sort of learning a lot of new lessons. You know, I work with the people on my team and like in an organization, and I get to see a bunch of stuff. And so I don't feel like I have anything like I really got to say yet. Like obviously, if someone drags me out, I'll talk. But um, the, the main thing that I'm trying to do right now is just, you know, focus on my own learning, my own development, and, you know, making sure my team gets out there and gets their, their um, chance to learn and develop as well. And, and I'm learning a lot of lessons about being a, a manager. I'm learning a lot of lessons about building organizations. And, and maybe I'll have something more to say in, in, a, in a while about all that. But for now... I'm mostly just trying to support the, the, the narratives that I think are obvious around, I feel like there's this new dominant paradigm that, that has emerged that is, you know, I call it cloud native, and I think that it's a mistake to talk about any of this stuff in isolation, that, you know, DevOps, microservices, continuous delivery are a single phenomena that is totally intertwined, and you can't have, like, a DevOps initiative and then a continuous delivery initiative and a microservice initiative and be successful, that you have to think about these things as holistic systems. But what if those are in different silos, Andrew? Well, then tear down the walls or fail. Like, this is the other thing is, is that this new, new paradigm, if it is truly a competitive advantage, then the Darwinian effect of not adopting the practice will put you out of business. And so you don't have to change. You know, change is not mandatory. Survival is not, survival is not totally mandatory die. either. And, and that's, I'm stealing from Deming. But the, the, the things I'm seeing right now is like, I'm just have this front row seat. I've been very privileged in my career to, to watch a lot of this develop, you know, with the automation tools and, and being able to see inside, uh, behind the veil, a lot of things that go on at Velocity, DevOps days, whatever. And so just now, the, the chance to bring all these things that we learned building the big web, building the, you know, the, the kind of cloud native way to do things into the enterprise, giving them an opportunity. They don't have to change if they don't want to, but if you don't change, you're going to be at a disadvantage, is my opinion. It's, I, I couldn't agree more. And where can people find you on the internet? Oh, I'm Little Idea on Twitter. And that's probably the easiest way to get my attention. Even if you're on my team, you know I don't answer email. So, um. oh, it's okay. We True don't actually story, send email. I peeked over his shoulder, and his inbox is 22,000 plus unread. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah so I, I report so to bad. him, and direct messaging him on Twitter is the best way to actually talk to him. Or text or whatever. Or text. Yeah. Yeah, I can iMessage you or direct message you on Twitter or Slack. It's true. But email is not a thing. Sorry, email. Um, so yeah, basically, what? how about you? And who are you? Oh. Who are you? <laughs> I co-host this podcast. Um, 
So uh, my, my fellow co-hosts are not at this DevOps day, sadly. Um, but yeah. Uh, where can we find you? And where you are you going to be next? On the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so I will be at Agile next, the Agile conference in Atlanta next week. I have a question for you. Yes. Roughly how many conferences do you do in a year? Um, I think that Joe and I sat down and calculated that I'm at about 85% travel right now, so I'm going to go with all of them. Um, <laughs> hashtag it's probably fine. I kind of made it her job. <laughs> I kind of went to work for Schaefer knowing that it would be pretty much going to conferences and talking to people, which fortunately I'm super extroverted, so this works out pretty well. Like I, I have a nightmare about waking up your job. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that at some point in my life, that itch to have production access yeah. um, with the, all, all the joys and pains that it brings again. is gonna is gonna be too compelling to pass up. But right at this very moment, I'm enjoying uh, doing oh, the Antiquity for Express. You asked what I left off. That I was, I don't know. Like I had this joy in my heart listening to Jeff do the do the talk. Oh my gosh! Like that was one of my favorites. It was so um, it was so funny. Like, what was it called? Like uh, DevOps, the fine print. It was great. Yeah, he was talking. Jeff Smith um, runs engineering at Grubhub and was talking yesterday. Everyone should watch it when the video everyone comes should out. watch it when the video goes up. And he was talking about they decided to do the DevOps. Spoiler alert: Not everything is unicorns and rainbows. Oh no! <gasps> Anyone who's listened to this podcast. Shocking plot twist. <laughs> Shocking plot twist. This is actually work. Sorry. It would be called mm-hmm. Unicorns and Rainbows and Kittens if it weren't actually work. But shocking plot twist. Yes, Jeff's talk was fantastic. Really, I mean, Nicole's opening keynote and Charity's closing keynote were everything that I wanted when I you know, begged both of them to please come to Minneapolis in July. It's the one month of the year we've never had snow, is how I pitched it. I, I didn't tell Minnesota has logged snow somewhere in the state every other month of the year. She neglected to let us know it was going to be 100 and humid. Yeah. <laughs> we have air conditioning. Um, but yes, so in conclusion, yes, uh, I, I am Bridget Crumhout at Bridget, uh, oh, can't talk, speaking words, it's hard. I am Bridget Crumhout at Bridget Crumhout on Twitter. This has been Arrested DevOps. Thank you all for participating thank in our live studio us. audience. And thank, you, uh, thank much. you so much to our panel. All right. And thanks to our audience. Yeah. Thank you.